pray as we get started here then. Lord, we thank you for your word you have given and preserved for us. We thank you, Lord, for the the truths we find within. And uh, Lord, we ask again that you would give us uh, strength by your spirit as we seek to grow as students of your word, that we might uh, learn to interpret it even more carefully and more faithfully, that we might know you and and your mind and, and your will and your desires for us. Um, and so we pray these things then in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, we... I've been talking here about different aspects of uh, studying the scriptures, and we started last time with figures of speech. And this can be uh, rather challenging and can be one of the reasons why people misinterpret um, and have some differing views on the scriptures, Uh, certainly more than this, but it is uh, a significant uh, aspect of that. and there are uh, different kinds of figures of speech. We started with figures of comparison. And the first one we looked at was simile. Simile is uh, a figure of speech where we compare something to be similar to. It's like it. Not exactly like it, but it is like it. And so we looked at um, six or seven passages where we uh, see similes being used. We started with Psalm 1, where the righteous man is, is like a tree by water, whereas the unrighteous man is like chaff. Uh, we talked about um, um, Psalm 42, where the deer pants for water, and so uh, we long for God. Um, and so we... Um, as we look at this, we have a literal subject, and then we have the figurative subject, and the question then is, how do they relate? Well, the next one I want us to look at is the figure of comparison here, metaphor. What is a metaphor, and maybe how is it in comparison to a simile? differences there. Yeah, yeah, it's a more direct comparison uh, in comparison to a simile. Simile is is like something, the metaphor is something. So, for example, if you said, he is a dog, he is your literal subject, right? Dog is the figurative one. What is meant by that? Yeah, I usually have a negative concept. I know. It is interesting, isn't it? <laughs> in our culture, we have domesticated dogs, and so when we think of a dog, we think of man's best friend, right? 
But the idea of he is a dog still has the negative connotation with it, which for most of history that's been true. Dogs have not been seen as man's best friend, but something bad, something evil, something that will uh, tear and, and kill and destroy and so forth. And so he's a dog, kind of a scummy person uh, and crude and, and uh, wicked and so forth. Or maybe a, a different example here. Um, maybe you've heard that, uh, uh, is it CBS or something, is not going to play any of the Peanuts uh, cartoons here this holiday season. You have to go online as to, to find it and so forth. And another one of those uh, cancel culture things going on. But uh, is it, do I remember right, is it Lucy that calls Charlie Brown blockhead? You're a blockhead. So, obviously, uh, Charlie Brown's the literal subject, and blockhead is the figurative subject. So what does Lucy mean when she says, you're a blockhead? Okay, dense, yeah. Uh, Ignorant, or not smart, or stupid, or something to that effect. Okay. Uh, sometimes you hear people say, you're an angel. Now, what is meant by that? What's that? I, I thought I heard something. Okay. All right. Uh, usually they're helping in some way, right? Um, and so, especially among non-Christians, you hear this language a fair amount. Uh, you're an angel or something to that effect. They're, they're helpful. Um, so this is the idea. It's much more direct than a simile. Uh, you're not saying you're like a blockhead or you're like an angel. You are, is the idea. So what is that point of comparison? As I've said before, we're usually looking for one point of comparison. We're not looking for multiple things. And so what is the main idea that is being communicated? All right, so let's look then at a few. Let's turn to Psalm 23 here first. The Psalms, of course, are filled with figures of speech. And maybe the most familiar one to us, Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. All right, so what's our literal subject? The Lord, figurative one is... This is a metaphor. The Lord is like a shepherd, but the Lord is a shepherd. What is meant here? What's the point of comparison? Okay, all right. The idea of caring for. Um, The shepherd, of course, does many things. How does the shepherd care for the flock? There are some different ways that even the psalm addresses here. Okay, okay, all right. Make sure they have food to eat, water to drink. Make sure they're protected from the dogs and other uh, uh, enemies. Okay, so he's our provider and protector, you could say, here. Dale, were you, did I see a hand start up? So protecting, providing, guiding, leading, uh, as the saying uh, 
uh, goes that uh, you know the, the sheep follow the shepherd. He, he leads the way. He guides them. Uh, all right, let's turn then to Psalm 46, another familiar one to us. Psalm 46, verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. So, what's the literal subject? God. What's the figurative subject? Okay, yeah, refuge is probably the most, um, can you say, uh, figure of these three things. Refuge, strength, and help. Uh, are the three things that follow here. Refuge is the most uh, filled with imagery, you could say. Um, what is a refuge? Okay, okay, or fortress or something to that effect. Okay, we can take refuge uh, in a house or something to that effect. Many of us the other night took refuge in here after being outside and we were cold and such. And we warmed up, went back out again. Um, maybe we'll take refuge here in the midst of the snow they're calling for. Uh, we'll see how much it amounts to, but uh, uh, we can do it in those ways. We may take refuge uh, in a relationship, right? Obviously here with God, that's what we're talking about, taking refuge in Him. Something very personal about this one, right? It's not just going under a shelter or in a building, but taking refuge in God himself and our relationship with him. And, of course, we can do that with our spouse or friend or something to that effect. Um, and, uh, you know, verse 10, be still and know that I am God. Um, verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with, you, uh, with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And again in verse 11, something very personal here. We find protection in this relationship. Now, yes, he has the power, the strength to help us against our enemies. Thus, we won't fear, even though the earth be removed and so forth. So the idea of relationship is because of who God is, too. We have that refuge. We have that confidence because of the character of our God. So certainly much can be said here. But the primary image here is God protects us. All right, let's turn then to Psalm 84. Yeah. I think I'll try to summarize this. Um, <clears throat> first of all, it takes us back to the garden, water flowing out of the place of God's presence there in the garden. Um, we see the river in heaven, Revelation 22, flowing from the throne. Uh, we see the river in the image of Ezekiel 47, flowing again from the temple and bringing life. That then is referenced by Jesus in, was it, John 7, referring to the Holy Spirit. So um, I think all of that goes into what that verse is talking about. And, um, 
And so there's the idea of presence again, um, salvation even. Um, okay, yeah, Joe. Yeah. Right, right. Yep. Which highlights that point that I was making too, right? Our only so source for for sustenance is God ultimately. Yeah. I think in and of itself, Psalm 1 is speaking about water. But as you look at the broader teaching of Scripture, I, th- I don't think that's a, an illegitimate connection to make with the idea of spiritual life um, and uh, spiritual water that comes from God uh, through the Spirit. Um, so the initial image is, is water, and, and then it points beyond that. Yeah. Yeah. All that does fit together all right so psalm 84 um and i'm sure you're thinking of other ones here (laughs) but verse 11 was one that uh, i thought of here psalm 84 verse 11 for the lord god is a sun and shield all right obviously what's the literal subject lord god and what is the figurative subject yeah two of them here sun and shield so the lord god is a sun what is communicated with this image okay illumination okay what i'm sorry okay yeah there's the idea of of life with it absolutely okay okay power right source of of power and heat and energy okay um all right so um all of these are true which one would you say is emphasized here would say yes I think we should see this maybe not strictly as parallelism but certainly following that pattern of of Hebrew poetry okay so um, seems to maybe emphasize the source of of life right note the next part no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly Um, and um even before that, you see verses 8 and 9. Hear my prayer, right? God, note the different names of God here. Listen, uh, God, behold our shield. Here's a metaphor. And look upon the face of your anointed and uh, uh, the Messiah, right? For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. Uh, I would rather be a, house cor- uh, a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. The Lord is the Son and a shield. He provides life 
think is the ultimate point here. Um, not that the other things are wrong. Um, illumination comes with that light. Uh, his power, his spirit within us is obviously connected to that. Um, I would start with the idea of life, though, here. Um, and then bring in the other, other um, meanings with it. So then if he is our shield, which we read also, what was that, verse 8, um, verse 9? Here it says it again. What's the point of comparison here? God is a shield. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So very much like we saw with refuge, right? protection. But um, this one may have a bit more of a direct connection with fighting our enemies. Uh, we can find refuge from other things um, that aren't, you know, a literal enemy. Uh, this one may be a bit more that way. Uh, he talks about the tents of wickedness um, right before this. Okay. <clears throat> so, anyway, you see what, I, what we're doing here a little bit. When you have one that has uh, multiple possibilities. Um, in this case, you have two images because there are two words there. Uh, looking at the context becomes necessary to know which one is emphasized and and so forth. Yeah, Eric. I think it emphasizes life here, the source of life. all of it in this case uh, I've said usually we're looking for one point of comparison but the sun usually has many meanings when we talk about it because obviously it does many things and it's and, and I think we're allowed to do that here because the context of the psalm provides a, a number of, of, of points of comparison um, in the immediate though again I think with verse 11 itself giving grace um, I think the idea of life is the first thought but the others are, are definitely uh, found here in the broader context okay well let's look then at Psalm 144 another one familiar one here to, to us Psalm 144 the Psalm of David blessed be the Lord my rock Verse 1. Blessed be the Lord, my rock. Again, Lord is a literal subject. Rock here is a figurative subject. What's the point of comparison here? Okay. Okay. And what is the context here of David's words? What, What stability is he looking for? In what setting, you might say? Yeah, yeah. Trains my hands for war, my fingers for battle. He, he then says about fortress, high tower, deliverer, shield, refuge. <laughs> and all of that goes together. Now, um, we could talk about 
God our rock and point to the water coming from the rock and Jesus our salvation. Um, and all that is true, right? As, as Paul says, that rock in the wilderness was Christ. I don't think that's the point here, though. By extension, we can go to that. But the point here is protection, stability. Okay, would you use security okay, in the face of battle? Okay, in God's good providence, I've never had to go to war. I don't understand that insecurity. Okay. David did. And so to, to speak of God is that stability is, of course, he, he had arrows flying by his head and swords flashing, not, not bullets, but still the insecurity of, of life and death. Um, it, it, God gives us that strength. That, that encouragement in the face of battle. Um, so <clears throat> I guess I'm reminded of what I said a little bit uh, about the other night uh, about uh, the grace movement. And Ben, you were asking me a couple questions afterward. They would take a passage like this and run to Christ. And I think miss the point here. Or they would say, Christ is our rock as we face our spiritual enemies. And they would leave it in that place. Christ came to defeat Satan and sin and death. All that is true. But they've spiritualized it and then missed some of the everyday things. We have literal enemies too, not just spiritual ones. And David here is talking about literal enemies, not just spiritual enemies. So I think we can apply it to both. I think the initial point is the literal enemy. And then we go the next step the gospel grace movement people will go that next step and ignore the first one typically is uh, commonly how how they'll handle something like this Um, depends on who who it is (laughs) some are more faithful than others to the text Um, yes Well, that certainly would be part of our understanding. No, I, I don't think so. I think that uh, uh, gets to the some of the original ideas. I'm just checking something here a minute. Um, Certainly, um, today we we might use concrete or metal or something like that to protect us. Um, they used rock. Um, 
because wood, of course, could be burned. Um, and and so, yeah, walls were made of maybe mud brick, but you know they were made of, of something hard that, uh, that would protect them. Yeah, certainly that would um, add to our understanding of, of what is intended. And all that's our starting point, and then we can take Psalm 144 and apply it to the spiritual work that Christ has accomplished for us against our spiritual enemies. Um, but as my one of my seminary professors used to always say, let the Old Testament speak for itself before we go to Christ. As we run to Christ too soon, we're going to miss a lot um, of what was intended for God's people uh, to understand and such. All right, well, let's continue. Um, let's turn to a few in the New Testament. Let's turn to John 8. And I'm just picking one of them here. But John 8 and verse 12. John 8 and verse 12. And uh, we see these words of Jesus. He says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Now, we could look at each one of the I am statements. And um, what we see here really is a metaphor. Right? I, referring to Jesus, of course, is the literal subject. In this case, light of the world, light, uh, is the figurative subject. And, um, you know, whether it's the good shepherd or the gate or the way, the truth, and the life, you know, all these are saying, are, are, are metaphors, and they're saying something about Jesus. And so in this case, when he says, I am the light of the world, now what is he talking about? What's the point of comparison? He's, he's the, the bearer of truth. Okay. That's right. Um, as it says here, you shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Um, that truth brings life. It uh, brings salvation. Uh, but understanding uh, leading to salvation seems to be the emphasis here. Um, let's turn to, to James chapter 3. Again, I'm sure you're thinking of other ones. Um, here's just some that I thought of. James 3, verse 6. James 3, verse 6. The tongue is a fire. Now, what's the literal subject here, then? Tongue. And what is the figurative subject? All right. Now, notice what's going on here, though. Tongue is also a figure of speech, isn't it? So now we're piling them up. Um, but obviously we're talking about the things that we say, right? So how is the tongue of fire? What's the point of comparison? <laughs> we can roast them, yes. <laughs> okay. We can burn them up, as it were. Um, hey, 
as he continues, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature as it is set on fire by hell. Um, so, yeah, our words, you know, they say the, uh, the tongue uh, sticks and stones, breaks the bones, you know, names will never hurt me. Well, that's not really true. <laughs> words really can be very damaging. And that's obviously what James is talking about here. It can uh, create a forest fire, um, as it were. All right, one more here. Uh, let's turn to Revelation 5. And um, as we move into apocalyptic genres, all kinds of figures of speech here. But let's just focus on this part. In uh, Revelation 5, verse 6, so I look, John, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Well, that verse alone has all kinds of figures of speech, doesn't it? Let's focus on lamb. We'll keep it easy for us here <laughs> to some degree. Um, what is the literal subject <laughs> Emma okay so what is the figurative subject alright now you'll see that both subjects are kind of being morphed together here aren't they it doesn't specifically say Jesus but in light of everything that we see in the context, and you can just go back to verse 5, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, okay, and now we're seeing this lamb. Um, and then we go on afterward to talk about the songs um, being sung to the lamb, okay, especially verses uh, 8 through 10. Uh, the worship given to him, the lamb who was slain again down in verse 12. Uh, and even in verse uh, 13. In light of everything that we see here, I think the Lamb has to be referring to Christ. Uh, but you see how this, this genre is challenging. You don't have the easy ones that we've seen before. You know, well, the Lord is my shepherd. That's pretty easy to see what's the literal subject, what's the figurative subject, and even the point of comparison. This one is more challenging, isn't it? I think we are on the right track here to see the lamb referring to Christ. So then, that's, <clears throat> that's step number one. Just what's literal and what's figurative. Now what's the point of comparison? What is being said about Christ here as he is called the lamb? Okay. 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 Yeah, the idea of uh, Christ coming and dying for our sins is the emphasis on that image. But notice he has horns, hey? and he is standing among the living creatures and, and before the throne, and he is worshipped, and they're singing to him. He, is, he was slain, but is alive again, and, uh, and, and so forth. Um, 
So the idea of the death of Christ and then his resurrection is clearly the emphasis by using this image of the lamb. So this um, takes us back really to Genesis 3, verse 15, where it says that the serpent will, will crush the heel of the he, of the Messiah. He's going to be slain, but he's not crushed on the head, but on the heel. So he lives again. So <clears throat> I bring this one up just to give us a taste of how <laughs> challenging it can be with apocalyptic genre and um, how, in this case, the, the metaphor is um, really the forefront, the image is the forefront, not the literal uh, subject. All right, comments or questions here? Yes. 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 Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Um, Through the death and resurrection of Christ, he is declared to be the Son of God. And and, and we see that right here. Um, Yeah. So... His exaltation is, is clearly emphasized here. And uh, because of who he is and what he has done, he, he rules now. He's given this scroll. He governs history. He rules over 
the good and the bad, including the plagues that are poured out on the earth, which we're enduring right now uh, with the coronavirus. You know, Christ is in control of, of all of these things. Um, yeah, definitely there's a present and ongoing aspect to to who he is and what he's doing. <laughs> well, horn is typically an image of power and strength. Seven's number of completion and perfection. So he has perfect power. Seven eyes. Uh, eye has to do with the idea of sight, seeing everything, all know, all knowing, all all present. Also, um, and so the the emphasis of his omnipotence and omnipresence, uh, I think, is. And, uh, and omniscience are communicated by these ideas. Um, and note the connection then with the seven spirits of God. And so that, I think, is a connection between the Father and now the Son and the Holy Spirit. I think all that is, is being communicated there. Other questions? Comments? Yes, Dale. Okay. Absolutely, <clears throat> and then <clears throat> he used language like that because they were used to eating the sacrifice, actually eating the flesh, not the blood, of course, but the blood would have been shed, you know, within, right, yeah, but the connections with the sacrifice are certainly what Jesus is saying, but yeah, he was there, <laughs> he hadn't, hadn't been uh, uh, killed and roasted or anything like that. Yeah, Susan. <laughs> right. Um, let's see. Well, it's it's a reference to the Holy Spirit. Yeah, there it is, back in verse five. Um, the seven lamps burning before, they're the seven spirits of God. Uh, that connects us to even the churches before that. Um, it, our, our, the image takes us back to Zechariah, was it six? Where you have the, the trees and the lampstand, and uh, there are connections there uh, with the spirit and the, lamp, the lamps. Uh, maybe it was Zechariah four, I forget now exactly, but... Um, 
we that makes most sense to me um, in our understanding of, of what that is referencing the fullness of, of God alright well we better quit here um, so let's pray as we conclude Lord we thank you again for your word and, and yes there are passages here that are challenging for us to understand but we are thankful that most of them are fairly straightforward especially if we do a little bit of, of careful study and um, we do thank you Lord that you have given us these images to help us to understand you uh, to understand the transcendent to understand you that are in many ways you're so far beyond us and yet you give us these things to help us and uh, that we might know you and, and love you and serve you we do praise you that you are our shepherd and our refuge and strength and sun and shield and so forth and um, uh, we we praise you for this and are thankful that we can uh, rest in your character and uh, your very very person in fact three persons and uh, we pray lord that you would uh, now strengthen us by your spirit that you have poured out upon us that we might worship you uh, together and that your uh, name would be exalted in in our efforts here today we pray these things then in jesus name amen